As expected, Kyler Murray has declared for the NFL draft. Now, Murray still has time to decide between pro football and pro baseball, but one thing we do know for sure is that he won't be back at OU this fall. Count me as one of the people who truly believe there was a chance Murray could return to the Sooners and give it another go at a national championship. You can thank former Cowboys executive Gil Brandt for my positive outlook. When he tweeted on January 3rd that he, quote, wouldn't be shocked if, one, Cliff Kingsbury became an NFL head coach in 2019, and two, Kyler Murray returned to OU in 2019, I started to believe. We talked about Brandt's tweet on our last podcast, but since then, Cliff Kingsbury did indeed become an NFL head coach, and when Kingsbury got that Arizona Cardinals job, Brandt doubled down, tweeting, quote, one down, one to go. But here's the thing. Why would Kyler Murray return to Oklahoma to play football in 2019? It just didn't make any logical sense, right? Well, on the surface, yes, that's true. But if there's any athlete who would make a decision like that to return to college football for one more go at a national title, even though millions of dollars in pro baseball or pro football were right there on the table, wouldn't that athlete be Kyler Murray? His entire journey has been pretty ridiculous. Why not just add to the story? Kyler Murray strikes me as a guy who's never really been concerned about injury. And let's be candid. Health is the primary reason football players leave college early for the NFL. It's a violent, physical game, and people only have a select amount of years they can play. You must get to the NFL as soon as possible so you can start making a living. Makes sense. But like I said, Murray just doesn't seem like somebody who really cares about getting to the NFL ASAP just so he can start making money before his body breaks down. I don't have any inside info on this, but think of it this way. The Oakland A's literally gave Murray $4.66 million to play baseball, yet he chose to risk that payday to play football at Oklahoma in 2018. To be fair, the Athletics reportedly agreed to let Murray play that one year of football, so there may have been language in that contract that guaranteed Murray the money if he got injured. But we all know by now that Murray cares so much about football that he put his body on the line last fall despite already having millions from baseball. Who's to say he wouldn't put his body on the line yet again to take another shot at a national championship? After all, Murray was perfectly healthy in 2018. And outside of one crushing blow from Quinn and Williams in the Orange Bowl, I don't recall Murray taking any big hits at all this year. He's confident in his ability to avoid injury. On top of that, OU just got a new defensive coordinator. Alex Grinch's defense isn't going to be Bama or Clemson elite in 2019, but for the first time in a while, Grinch could make OU's defense respectable. Who knows? Perhaps a little more help on the defensive side of the ball may have enticed Murray to stay one more year. Of course, when the report came out last week that the A's were expecting Murray to enter the NFL draft, that pretty much ended the speculation about his future at Oklahoma. I will say that report said Murray was expected to declare Sunday, and then Sunday came and went without any news of Murray declaring. Weird. Why was this taking so long? Was that previous report wrong? Well, turns out the report was right. Murray tweeted Monday afternoon that he had declared for the NFL draft. His time at OU had come to a close. Done and done. Was I crushed when I saw Murray's tweet? Of course not. Did I want to see him in an OU uniform for one more season? 
Of course I did. We all did. Gil Brandt went one for two. And only Kyler Murray knows how close Brandt was to going two for two. I'm excited to see what's in store for Murray in the NFL. Yes, the NFL. It's pretty clear the guy likes football more than baseball. And I don't blame him. The A's took a big-time risk, and I don't think it's going to pay off for him. But like I said a moment ago, Murray's entire journey has been ridiculous. We don't really know what's coming next. And I wouldn't be shocked if Murray didn't know either. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. 315 to go third quarter. Meyer in motion. A lot of movement up front. Kyler's going to run it himself. Now he throws late. Looking for Rambo in the end zone. It is caught. It's a touchdown. Charleston Rambo. Oh, mama. The last elite quarterback play we'll ever see out of Kyler Murray in a Sooners uniform welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Yeah, it sucks what happened in the Orange Bowl against Alabama, but watching that play back is pretty fun. How's it going, everyone? Welcome into the show. Once again, I am Lee Benson. My brother Grant will join us here in a moment. It's been a little more than a week since our last podcast. Things have happened, although Grant may disagree. I'm sure he'll explain that here in a second. A quick overview of today's show is as follows. Kyler Murray's declaration for the NFL. The NFL draft, to be more specific. What does that mean? Is he really still trying to decide between football and baseball? Do any of you actually even care about this anymore? Also, Kerry Cooks is out. Austin Kendall is in the transfer portal. Jalen Hurts rumors are a thing. Basically, there's a lot of random newsy tidbits that we can jump into. Just not sure how many thoughts there will be, but I guess we'll find out. And finally, a segment that Grant's not too excited about. We'll look back at our 2018 preseason predictions and find out what we got right and what we got wrong. It's time to hold us all accountable. Real quick, though, just want to say thanks to all of you for listening to West of Everest. It's been incredible how much growth we've had from season one of the show to season two. I'm telling you, our audience has more than doubled since the end of the 2017 season. If you're relatively new to the show and this is your first off-season listening to the podcast, the plan will be to have shows as much as possible discussing everything in the world of Oklahoma football. So stay tuned for what's to come. With all of that, let's welcome in Grant for the first time. What's going on? Oh, nothing much, Lee. Good little breakdown of sort of the entire Kyler Murray saga of this past week or so, which was full of a lot of news, but not really. It was actually just a whole bunch of speculation for about two weeks and the end result was pretty much obvious at every single every single turn. So I took a couple subtle shots of you there in the open just about how maybe some things have happened but maybe have not happened. I'll give this uh, this time to you now to, to defend yourself. No, I, I guess I'm just I, I was just sort of frustrated basically with the last week or so. Um, just the the drama and all of the pearl clutching and basically all of the not not panic but just sort of the hysteria that that Gil Brandt tweet caused the entire OU fan base has just been kind of exhausting. Um, and it just, Kyler Murray was never coming back to OU. He was never coming back to OU. And so I guess just this, the, the whole thing, and especially, I, I guess just this last weekend was the thing that really bugged me. Um, there was a lot of stuff that happened. Kerry Cooks uh, took the job at Texas Tech. The Sooners hired Brian Odom. They're interviewing other people for the, the vacancies on the defensive staff. 
Uh, Austin Kendall's in the transfer portal. Jalen Hurts is rumored to maybe be transferring to Oklahoma. And yet the only thing anyone wanted to talk about was Kyler Murray maybe coming back to OU when he was never coming back to OU. I just think I, I just think I just think people's priorities were in the completely wrong place, and all and especially and I, I can understand why people maybe their ears started to perk up or they started to get really intrigued. Maybe when Cliff Kingsbury went to the NFL, um, confirming one of you know of Gil Brandt's predictions he already made. But do people not realize that? I mean, what six hours after that happened, that's when the report came out that the A's expect Kyler Murray to enter the draft. And no, and people don't report that unless they're solid with their sources and know that that is the case. Kyler Murray's sure. team told the A's he was going to the draft at some point in time, and and that was it. It was over. It was over then. And then we actually found out that he actually did submit the paperwork on on Friday. So just like hours after that after that story came out. So it's just oh, like he did yeah. Did, so I didn't see that. Yeah. So it's just it, the whole everything just sort of bugged me. I wanted to talk about Austin Kendall and Jalen Hurts. But for some reason, people were still talking about Kyler Murray. And, you know, hey, I love Kyler. He had a great season for OU. He won a Heisman Trophy here. Kyler Murray does not he does not invoke the same sort of passionate feelings inside of me that Baker Mayfield does. And, and honestly, he's just not as interesting to talk about. That, that's, basically, that, that's basically sort of my entire diatribe. Hmm. All right. Well, I didn't see that report about the papers being filed on Friday. So it would lead me to believe that they were trying to heighten up the the drama but hold on a second if that's true what was the whole deal with the a's and the the meeting on saturday or sunday or whatever like that i suppose the a's kind of knew that he was already going to declare but they were trying to well yeah okay so, sort out other issues for the next month you know hey you're gonna come to spring training hey what's going on here you know i i suppose that's a whole other thing about a Lee, about a year ago clay travis and depending on you know how you feel about clay travis is irrelevant but he did put out a really good sort of column about a year or so ago where he basically talks about here's the right way to read news media stories in the sports world. Um, and so the way he reads them is he, he tries to kind of um, by what is written, he usually tries to deduct exactly what's happening, who is benefiting from this story being written. Um, he likes to, he, he likes to try to piece together, uh, you know, stuff just based off of what is written in the story. And, you know, I kind of use that sort of that article now to read a lot of my news stories. And so when that when that report came out uh, that that Kyler Murray had told the A's uh, that he that, you know, that he or I'm sorry, that's not what the report said. The report was the A's expect Murray to enter the draft. Well, the question you have to ask yourself is, why do the A's feel that somebody must have said something to them? And the only logical conclusion that you can reach to that is that Murray's camp, the people representing him, have told the A's he is going to enter the NFL draft. And they probably set up a meeting this past weekend for their last ditch effort to to dissuade him from doing that. Well, if the papers are already filed, though, on Friday, I mean, it was already going to happen. So the meeting had to. Well, no, been, not necessarily. Don't unless the is, A's didn't know. Yeah. No, this is not. No. I. Are are you still forgetting I mean. that just just because he answered his name does not mean he he's not playing baseball? That's not what this means. If if he wanted to keep the option open of going to yeah. the NFL draft, he had to submit his name by uh you know by midnight yesterday. Today is Tuesday. Yesterday was Monday. Um. So and and this is not me saying he he's not playing baseball. Everyone needs to just so that's the thing needs that's, to divorce their mind from that. Right. He is going to the, the NFL to topic. play quarterback. And, okay, and that's, so that's to me that's the more interesting discussion. And sure, and that's and I guess that's where I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you again because it's it's in my mind it's so cut and dry. He's not playing baseball, people. He's not. He's going to the NFL. 
I mean, no, just story yeah, I, over. No reason to talk about it anymore. Uh, yeah, for some reason, everyone's got to throw that, and it's just a journalistic thing. You got to throw that caveat in as, hey, just so you know, this doesn't mean that hundred percent he's going to play football because he still technically has time between now and when a spring training happens or whatever. Because the the thought process is, I think I I read or heard that if he does not report to spring training, which is a a couple weeks before the the combine that uh, at that point he will be in breach of his contract and then he'd have to pay it all back. But yeah, I, it just it makes way more sense to go to the NFL. He wants to play football. He's going to be a first round pick. And I, the, the whole, we, we have plenty of time to talk about this. We don't need to go into heavy detail, but there's going to be a ton of unnamed sources in the NFL scouts, GMs that are going to be saying, Oh, I'm not so sure if he's a first round pick, blah, 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 blah. And the annoying thing is that, we literally did this a year ago with Baker Mayfield, and a lot of the the questions will be about his height, Kyler Murray's height, and it's like, are we going to do this again with uh, another Oklahoma quarterback? Legitimately, the only argument I think that you can hold against Kyler Murray, and it's a real argument, is that his experience is not up to the same level as Baker Mayfield's was coming out. He still has only started one full season. And so that would be the one concern that I would have. But at the same time, you could use that same concern with Sam Darnold. What did he have, two years starting at USC? A lot of the thought of Darnold is, oh, well, he's got great potential. When he gets more snaps, he'll be better. And I tend to agree with that thought. Same thing's going to be with Kyler Murray. The more he experience he gets, the more snaps he gets, he's going to get better and better and better. So Kyler I wouldn't Murray be worried was about that. so much better in his one season of college football than Sam Darnold ever oh, yeah. was at USC. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, so, so much better. Put so much, uh, just much better football on tape than Sam Darnold ever did. And, and so, so that's the thing. You're going to hear a lot of from football experts, random people that are going to question him as a first-round pick, blah, 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 the old guard, and it's going to be so boring and annoying. And you're going to hear other people that are going to say, yeah, he's a first-round pick. And yeah. So that's the thing that's that's going to be fun for me in the next couple months. Oh, you think is- that's going to be fun for you? I'm already exhausted by it. I don't I don't <laughs> know if I can do – like. It's th- yeah, this, I mean, is, this is this is very long off season. Yeah, it's, this is what football is. I don't think at this it's time of the year. I don't it's think it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be quite as over the top as the Baker Mayfield stuff was, um, because I, I I actually do think that Murray's size is like a legitimate concern. He's a small dude. Baker is Baker's not extremely tall, but he is thick. He's big. Kyler's not big at all, so I, I can see why that would maybe be a problem. Just in terms of, I, and I don't, I don't really buy into the whole he's not going to be able to see over his offensive line. He's going to get passes batted down. Not that garbage. That's stupid. Um, but I think there, there probably will be some legitimate concerns about how he's able to physically hold up in the NFL. And yes, I realize that there's tons of, there's tons of rules now to you know protect the quarterbacks and whatnot. But I, don't, I mean, did you see that hit that he took from Quinn and Williams in the Orange Bowl? I mean, that looked like. It was painful, and that's something that's that's you know theoretically going to happen fairly often in the NFL, or relatively speaking. Um, but yeah. but for me, this is this is this is very very simple. I think his size. I'm not even going to say his height. I'm just going to say his size in general is certainly a concern. But I think it's only injury related. As far as what he does as a quarterback, he is by far the best thrower of the forward pass in this draft, and it's not even really remotely close. And he should be the first quarterback taken. To me, that it's, it's done. It's over. Like it, and I understand that that's that's not how it works. There's going to be another three months of talking about this, um, and there's going to be people going in depth about all of this. Um, but Kyler Murray, I out of 
anyone coming out. And it's basically him and Dwayne Haskins. Um, Kyler Murray, in my opinion, showed a much greater aptitude for completing high-level NFL throws. He should be the number one quarterback taken. Pretty easy. Just watch the tape. I agree. And so that, and that's why, like, I just, I'm exhausted just talking about it because we just, I mean, we said the exact same stuff last year about Baker Mayfield. It turned out to be exactly correct. And I'm just saying, it's it's, it's just, it should be pretty easy just to to do that again this year. I agree. He is the best quarterback, and I do agree. It's between him and Dwayne Haskins. And it made it even easier for Murray to come out this draft because the quarterback draft class is is not anywhere near as good as it was a season ago just numbers wise okay for those out there that are still saying baseball is the right way to go you definitely should go to baseball just take this into consideration Lamar Jackson was the last pick in the first round the very last pick and I think Kyla Murray is going to be in the let's say he'll be in the I think he'll be in the very the first half of the draft if not the top 10 I think he'll be one. He should be, like you said, the first quarterback taken, if not the second quarterback, second quarterback taken. Okay, I think so. he's. I think he's almost certainly going to be a top ten pick. It wouldn't surprise me in the least bit if he's the first overall pick. Okay, and at this point, I agree with you. So, just th- back to Lamar Jackson, though. Okay, so quarterback, last pick of the first round. You know how much money he got guaranteed, Grant? I don't know. Eight point two million dollars guaranteed. Now go back to his baseball contract that he has guaranteed from the A's what's that number 4.66 so Kyler Murray if he's a end of the first round guy he's already making more money than he he's making from the A's guaranteed and you and I are both saying that he's gonna be in the top 10 maybe even number one pick and I didn't do my research to figure out how much money that Baker Mayfield got guaranteed but it's a lot more than 8.2 so it just makes so much more sense to go to the NFL and Boom. There you go. Yeah. And and let's uh, and I just kind of want to bring in just like the MLB talking point, because a lot of people will say that, you know, you make more money in the MLB. And that's true if you are a a long tenured all star caliber player. But nobody ever talks about the grind that you have to go through to get to that point. You usually have to be playing professional baseball for like seven or eight years before you get that first big contract. And in, baseball in the major is league. so much more difficult. It's just a lot harder than football. Yeah, it just is as far as being successful. I mean, the quarterback position obviously is the most important position in sports, and maybe the most difficult position to play in sports. But let me tell you, you know how difficult it is to be consistent, hitting big league pitching, and being an all-star caliber player that can make the kind of money that a an NFL quarterback can make. Gosh, that is stressful. That is. Only a very few amount of people can do that. And I'm not so sure Kyle Murray is one of those people. I'm honestly, I'm not all that impressed with what he's put on tape baseball-wise. So, uh, just baseball is so difficult, man. It's such a hard sport. And uh, he's he's better at football than he is at baseball, in my opinion. So, there you go. All right, so let's get into the other Sooners news that you would prefer to discuss that interests you a lot more than and maybe interests me. So I got a couple things. So I think this happened before our last podcast, but uh, or maybe it didn't. I don't know. But Tim Kish, he retired. So Tim Kish is out. You mentioned Kerry Cooks earlier. Kerry Cooks is on to Texas Tech to coach the safeties. So he's gone. So both of those guys officially out. Ruffin McNeil, Calvin Thibodeau, and Bob Diaco officially are still the defensive coaches on staff. I haven't heard anything about those, those uh, coaches being let go or being retained. But right now... On January 15th, they're still on the website. They're on staff. I will give a courtesy to the Football Brainiacs website. I like reading that website here and there. 
from time to time they'll post public stuff that anybody can read. And according to the Football Brainiacs, one of the more recent open posts they had mentioned that Bob Diaco, according to their sources, will not return and that Ruffin McNeil may be back with the staff or will be back. I, it's kind of I, I couldn't really read. I had a tough time reading if it was, uh, you know, is he will be back. He may. I don't know. But it sounds like according to them, Diaco will not return, which should not be surprising considering that Alex Grinch is going to come in. And Alex Grinch will probably want to have a lot of his own guys. Uh, you mentioned Brian Odom earlier in the show, Grant. That has not been officially uh, that has not been officially announced by Oklahoma. Has not officially been announced, but it's 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 happened. They they hired Brian Odom. Okay, that's uh, hasn't hasn't been officially report. announced, but it's been reported by multiple multiple venues. Okay, so we'll start with that. Brian Odom, he's going to be uh, reportedly hired as the linebackers coach for Oklahoma. Do you know anything about this guy? I know he used he played at OU as a running back or something in the early two thousands for a uh, year or two. The only thing I know about him is that he is. Uh, reportedly Alex Grinch's kind of first choice for that he did he did coach under Alex Grinch at Washington State for one year I believe as a graduate assistant or a quality control guy um that that's all I know I'm not I I don't know a ton about Brian Odom I mean he's the he's the brother of Barry Odom who's the head coach at Mizzou and that he's a linebackers coach who who preaches aggressiveness per per YouTube videos that I've seen other than that (laughs) no I, I don't know a ton about Brian Odom but um that was always going to be the case with with these positional staff hires. A lot of the times, um, you know, they're going to be there. And knowing what Lincoln Riley wants, he probably wants younger, up and coming guys. So it's not surprising to me that we just don't know a ton about Brian Odom. But I don't think that that is that isn't necessarily something that we should be concerned about. Anything else, coaching wise, that you want to talk about? Because I'll put my thoughts out there to everybody. At this point, we know Alex Grinch is the defensive coordinator. That's been officially announced. Great. We're happy with the hire. Until his staff is in place and we can kind of say, okay, this is what we're going to have, I'm not that interested in really discussing or looking into any of these potential people. It's just because it's just for whatever reason, it just doesn't interest me that much. Uh, so for you, I'll open it for you. Like, what do you want to discuss when it comes to the coaching staff or coaches or anything like that, if anything? Um, you know, I, I don't, we don't really need to discuss a whole lot. Uh, we'll, you know, let's just, just briefly mention Tim Kish and Kerry Cooks here one more time just because they are no longer on staff. Um, I, I think the defensive staff, you know, definitely got better with the departure of those two guys. Um, and that's, yeah, you know, we have, we have lamented the secondary play quite a bit on this podcast. And now the, the guy in charge of that secondary is no longer with the team. So, and so I, I will say this. As of this, now, I'd say that's a good thing. I will say this. Tim Kish and Kerry Cooks, all the way up until the very end, they showed just the utmost professionalism. I mean, I think Kerry Cooks was out recruiting all the way until oh, yeah, to the last absolutely. night until he took that Texas Tech job. And so, um, you know, hey, I'm I'm always appreciative of people who, who love Oklahoma and, and who come here and do their absolute best. It was it was very clearly time for change, especially in the secondary. Tim Kish retired. Um, that's you know him him moving on. I has seemingly been rumored for years now, but um, so yeah, I, I think I think this is you know without knowing exactly who is going to be hired, this is certainly in my opinion addition by subtraction. These are two guys who I think uh, you know their positions I, I think ha- have certainly taken a step back from the Oklahoma standard and there needs to be a new voice in those rooms for sure. Uh, moving on from there, Lee, I think, you know, of, of the defensive back coaches who are here, you know, on staff this past season, who are, you know, who are still there. 
I think Calvin Thibodeau is a guy I think we can definitively say is probably going to be back. Um, you can just kind of read between the lines on message boards, on Twitter and whatnot. It does seem like that Thibodeau is almost certainly going to be back. Um, we don't know about Ruffin McNeil yet, so I'm not going to comment on that because we don't really know. And I know you, you personally probably want to be a little more careful. You actually are a member of the media. I'm a fan of the team, and so I have no such, I have no such responsibility. So I can, I can wildly speculate all I want. Um, but, you know, other than that, yeah. I, I hey, think, but even speculating, I mean, uh, when it comes down to it, this is sports, so I mean, whatever. I know it doesn't matter. So basically, I'm not as you know super serious and dramatic as some other people in the media are when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, unless you're going to talk about something that could potentially damage somebody's character, or, you know, things like sure. That's important. I'm not going to do that, obviously. So sure. So anyway, so yeah, I said I think you know addition by subtraction with with Kish and and Cooks moving on. I think Thibodeau is very, 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 very likely, ninety nine point nine percent likely to be back. Um, Ruffin, uh, that's up in the air. I'm not sure. I think he is probably going to be on the staff in some capacity. I don't know if that'll be as a position coach or some administrative role. Um, if you're going to put a gun to my head and ask me, I don't, I, I don't think he should be a position coach. That's just my, that's my preference. I think they need a, as much turnover on the defensive staff as they, as they realistically can muster. But, um, you know, Lincoln Riley's calling the shots. He's very clearly a lot more comfortable with Ruffin McNeil on the staff from a mentorship uh, perspective. So it wouldn't surprise me if, if you saw Ruffin and Thibodeau just, uh, you know, handle the defensive lineman again. I don't expect Diaco to be back. I, you know, that's that's before even the football brainiac said anything. I just, uh, just logically didn't really expect him to return. Um, and then with Brian Odom, you know, hey, I, I don't know anything about him. All I knew is that he was likely Alex Grinch's first choice for linebackers coach when that report came out. Uh, last week that said he was going to pass up the opportunity at Oklahoma. Uh, there was a small twinge of disappointment just because I knew that was Alex Grinch's first choice, and I want Grinch to get his guys. I, I want him to handpick his guys. Um, so it, it, it was good to see that it looks like he has he has accepted some sort of offer, even if it hasn't been officially announced by the school. I'm assuming that will be officially announced once they round out the completion of, of their staff. All right, the only other coaching thing that I found kind of interesting is I did a little more research just on other coaching staffs things like that now with Kerry Cooks on to Texas Tech Kerry Cooks took the safeties coach position so I made me think you know what I at Oklahoma they didn't have a coach for the safeties and a coach for the cornerbacks they just had Kerry Cooks as a secondary coach so it makes me wonder if Alex Grinch I know he is a guy who coached safeties at Ohio State he's a safety himself so he knows what that's like is he going to have a guy that comes comes in and coaches just like Kerry Cooks did, just the Oklahoma secondary, or is he going to have a guy that comes in and coaches the cornerbacks and maybe Alex Grinch coaches the safeties himself? Or I'm kind of curious to see how that works. Because I mean, what if Oklahoma, the secondary needs that some uh, some position coaching to where it's even more specific to the corners and specific to the safeties? So I'll be looking to see if anything like that happens whenever the defensive staff is rounded up. Yeah, Any it'll thoughts be on that at it'll, all? It'll curious. be interesting for sure. And I, you know, I guess I, I don't really know. I, I, ex- I, yeah, I, don't know I, either, I, I expect this will probably be wrapped up, you know, within the next week or so. I would guess. Um, I don't know what the timetable's like. Yeah, and that's that's what so I'm saying we'll too. Like that, that's me just throwing something against the wall. I'm not sure. I mean, it's it's gonna be. You know, they're gonna want to have a staff. Uh, you got to think as soon as possible because guys are already on campus for spring practice. Mm-hmm. So, and also to the the other. <laughs> now now it's the other signing day but i mean that's coming up 
Not even though that most of Oklahoma's uh, class, I think, is probably already signed. But that's another date coming up, first Wednesday of February. That's always significant. Yeah, and they got some guys too who are who are probably going to be signing with them on that day as well. Who who we can you know who we can talk about when it happens, but it's not going to be the 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 big time you know sort of five star fest as it was you know a few weeks ago or geez almost a month ago now. That's crazy. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah. So Grant, I, let's move on to. Uh, the part of this uh, last week that you have probably the most interest in and the news of Austin Kendall into transfer portal and all the rumors about Jalen Hurts. So now we, okay. So now we know Kyler Murray, he's not coming back. So we have Austin Kendall in the transfer portal. We got rumors about Jalen Hurts and let's say, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you take it from here. What do you want to talk about when it comes to this? Well, how about uh, do, this? Do you want to I mean, tell? Okay, go ahead. Sure. I mean, this is, in my mind, this is by far the most interesting development, you know, in Oklahoma football in the offseason just in a really long time. I, I just, this is so interesting because it directly affects the team next year. Um, you have Austin Kendall, a guy that we've talked about extensively in this program for the last three years. I mean, this guy backed up Baker Mayfield as a true freshman. Um, he was third string last year, of course, when Kyler Murray was the backup, but we still talked about him extensively. And of course, you know, Austin Kendall was, you know, a, a fairly prominent uh, topic of conversation over the course of this season on this podcast, especially, you know, leading up to the season. And just like that, Lee, he's in the transfer portal. That is so intriguing and interesting to me. And I just feel like it really got short shrift with the Kyler Murray news, and it shouldn't have. This is so interesting, just for the ramifications of the program, what it means if they don't get Jalen Hurts coming in. Um, because, and, and I know you, we, we've talked back and forth. You're of the opinion that if Jalen Hurts does not come to OU, that Austin Kendall is likely to stay at OU. I don't feel that at all. I, I feel like he's in the transfer portal, and he's gone. He's he's not coming back, unless you can give me some sort of, uh, unless you can give me some sort of example of somebody saying that you know i'm in the portal i'm gonna and i'm gonna transfer and then didn't transfer but you know i just austin kendall's gone everyone so i think just let's let's just say just and and we'll get into jalen hurts and and, you know more in depth here later down the line let's just say just for the sake of argument that jalen hurts does not come to oklahoma tanner mordecai is the only scholarship quarterback on on campus for spring practice until until spencer rattler gets here in june is that Mm -hmm. not a problem that's a big problem so let me, I guess this is the point of the show where I can kind of explain an, another theory as to why I was kind of leaning, not leaning, I, I was actually kind of open and still thinking that there's a chance Murray would come back to OU. So here, here's the scenario, and this is just, I don't know anything, and I'm just going to play this out. I think you'd like to call it game theory sometime, but so here we go. So, all right, so Kyler Murray technically still could come, at this point, let's go back a week ago. At this point, Kyler Murray, in theory, could still come back to Oklahoma if he wanted to. All right? Okay. We don't think he's going to, but in theory, he still could. All of a sudden, then you find out that Austin Kendall has entered the transfer portal, and there's rumors about Jalen Hurts, and we did see reports that Hurts visited Oklahoma on Saturday. All right? So why would Austin Kendall and Jalen Hurts be even in in the question? Okay? So I, I guess my thought would be this. Obviously, for Austin Kendall, there's probably some sort of discussion there with Lincoln Riley. Listen, hey, man, we're looking outside the program just in case Kyler Murray doesn't come back because we're just maybe not happy with your play, blah, blah, blah. And this kind of goes to your thing about he's gone because if this happened with 
with Lincoln Riley, they had a discussion. At this point, Austin Kendall is not going to be very happy that Lincoln Riley doesn't think he's the guy. Okay, and I think that's a good point by you. Basically, is kind of what you were referring. If he's Riley's kind of doubting him. All right, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm going to get out of here and go somewhere where I know I can play and fresh start. All right, so now you throw in Jalen Hurts. Why would Jalen Hurts not just immediately be like, "Yeah, Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, you want me? Sure, I'd love to." Well, because I think maybe they were all kind of waiting on Kyler Murray's decision. Eh, maybe Kyler Murray might come back. But now that Kyler Murray has declared, as of now, it's January 15th. It's Tuesday. There's nothing official still yet on Hertz. There's nothing official on Kendall leaving. I guess he's been visiting some schools. He's visited but West Virginia it, and Auburn that we know okay. of so okay. far. So I just I have a hard time thinking that Lincoln Riley would put his team in a position to where there was a real chance that he'd go into 2019 with legitimately Tanner Mordecai and Spencer Rattler as the only scholarship quarterbacks because why would he have this discussion with Austin Kendall unless he thought for darn sure he'd either get Kyler Murray coming back or a better transfer player, whoever that may be, and right now it might be Jalen Hurts. I guess that's why I don't think there's going to be a situation where Oklahoma enters the offseason or enters 2019 with legitimately Mordecai and Rattler. I just don't think that Riley would put the, the program in that position. Well, I think we can. I think we can draw two logical conclusions um, from all of this. And I think one, the first one is, and this is the most obvious one to me. Lincoln Riley knows that Austin Kendall is not the guy. I think that's that's fairly obvious. Otherwise, what is the point of going after Jalen Hurts? He's a well, one. Does he know? Does he know that he's not the guy compared to Tanner Mordecai? And then, and that's my second one. Number two, the the number two logical conclusion that we could draw is that Mordecai's better. Which you know, if if you want to believe like message board rumors and stuff like that, the rumors that Tanner Mordecai has been an absolute stud, you know, on the scout team, which you know, I I, I would pump the brakes on that. Um, but you know, that's very similar to what we heard about Baker Mayfield in the one year that he was running the scout team as well. And I would also say we heard very similar things about Trevor Knight. If, if people actually want to be consistent with it and go back, um, that guy was, was tearing up the scout team as well. And and that didn't necessarily work out, uh, great. So, um, that's why, that's why I think this is so interesting. Either way, this is, this is why I logically come to the conclusion that, that Kendall is gone no matter what, because, Lincoln Riley had to determine one of those two things if he was going to go after Jalen Hurts. Okay. Had to have. And, and by this time, I, I've kind of – you've convinced me. I, you know, I was thinking that – like uh, my thought was Kendall was entering the portal. Here's why I thought Kendall entered the portal. Because I thought Kendall was thinking, you know what? Kyler Murray might come back. I'm going to just get, put some options out there. And if – Murray does not come back and nobody else comes in, then it's essentially me versus Tanner Mordecai for the starting job. And I'm confident I can win that. But now that, you know, you, you made some good points. And if, you know, he and Riley have had these discussions, which they had to have had discussions. There's no way that Austin Kendall just went to Lincoln Riley's office out of nowhere and be like, hey, I want to transfer. I mean, there had to have been Lincoln Riley's a very upfront coach. I mean, he talks about that all the time. Uh, he's honest with players. So, I mean, there had to have been there. So, yeah, I, I tend to, to side with you now. I, I've, yeah, I, I would lean towards what you're thinking. Austin Kendall's, and I gone. think, and I think this is stuff that that we that was probably known by him even during the season as well. Um, Maybe, yeah, yeah. and because I mean, there there were there were talks that OU's camp was in like was in touch with Jalen Hurts' camp even during the season. 
still too. gosh and then you think back to before the orange bowl that long break between i remember when all the coaches had their playoff press conference and lincoln riley went out of his way to say really nice things about jalen hurts like more than one time when asked about alabama so kind of makes you wonder if all the way back then he was already thinking about trying to recruit jalen hurts yeah i think he probably he was been, and i'm sure and i'm and i'm you know and i'm sure the calculus in his mind is hey we have one year of Hertz, a guy who is twenty six and two as a starter in college. He's he started in two national title games. He made uh, the seemingly game winning play in one of them before Deshaun Watson was Superman and won it for Clemson at the end of that one. This is a guy who is who is an NFL level elite athlete at the quarterback position. He's certainly limited in his downfield throwing game. Um, I, I would say, or I'm sorry, he's definitely limited in in his immediate in his intermediary uh, throwing game, like his. He's he's definitely inconsistent with his accuracy in the in the short to medium range. He throws a pretty darn good deep ball, um, but I I, I can just it, it just it makes so much sense as a stopgap. You have one year of Hertz who has started nearly thirty games in college at the premier program in college football. Um, you have a senior coming in who has you know who has pelts on the wall and who has done it at a demanding program, and he can be a he can be you know. Uh, a guy that spent uh, that Spencer Rattler and Tanner Morta guy can look up to, and I think he he puts you squarely again in the talk to, uh, of the college football playoff. Um, I think they owe you at Jalen Hurts at quarterback is is the obvious Big Twelve favorite at the beginning of the year, um, and then you have one year of Jalen Hurts to see what happens, what what he can do with the team, what the what the ceiling of the team is with him, and then you know going into the next year you have Spencer Rattler in his second year of the program, and you have a Tanner Mordecai who is. Uh, by all reports, is a really good player. You're, he's in his third year of the program. By that time, you have a very veteran-laden team in the trenches on defense as well. And then you have guys who are talented and who have experience in the program, in the system, ready to to go after, realistically, a national title in 2020. Yeah, it sounds really good. Makes a lot of sense. That's the. I think that is the. that's kind of the obvious game theory. Could we be totally wrong? Sure. But I just think from the outside looking in of what we know now, I think that is just the most logical conclusion to draw. So let's just real quick jump into the the talking point that I think a lot of Sooners fans may have, and maybe not just Sooners fans, maybe those in the media and just all the way around that like college football, the thought of, really, Jalen Hurts? He, he's not that good. I mean, why would you want Jalen Hurts? So do you want to just quickly kind of dispel this notion that Jalen Hurts is some scrub because obviously you and I we have said things about Jalen Hurts on this podcast but but I guess the the context of what uh, when we discuss Jalen Hurts is that we're comparing him to Tua <laughs> and we're comparing Tua, him to Tua Kyler and Baker Mayfield Okay, yeah, like but literally the Tua, because literally the three team. guys who have the three best seasons for a quarterback in the history of college football. So that's the thing. I mean, Jalen Hurts is a really solid quarterback, but when you compare him to Tua, he's he's not that good. And newsflash, a lot of college quarterbacks, when compared to Tua, are not very good. Would Jalen Hurts be a better quarterback at Oklahoma than he was at Alabama? You're darn right he would. A year of coaching from Lincoln Riley, working in this kind of offense in this system where Lincoln Riley would scheme up open throws for him left and right, get his confidence up, teach him certain things that maybe he hadn't learned yet. Jalen Hurts would have definitely his best season 
as a college player in a Lincoln Riley offense. And I don't think it would be even close. I mean, I think his career completion percentage is something like 62%. I bet yeah, that bumps up to, at minimum, 66 to 67 Maybe not that high. 65, 66-ish, just with Lincoln Riley in the Oklahoma system. So I think the, the thought that he is not a guy that you'd want at Oklahoma is a kind of a short-sighted thought. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. I don't know if you this have is, anything to add. Yeah, you know, I, I understand, and, you know, you and I have. We have there, there have been times where we've seemingly taken shots at Jalen Hurts on this podcast, and I'm glad you brought that up, that that was in, you know, the context of comparing him to Tua and, and, and Kyler and Baker Mayfield as well. Um, if we want to go back to sort of the, the preview show for the Orange Bowl, the comparison I made for Jalen Hurts, and I think I've made this comparison numerous times over the course of this season, I think he's a more athletic Sam Ellinger. I think Ellinger is a slightly better thrower, and I think Jalen Hurts is a better athlete slash runner. But I think they are very similar in the quality of college football player that they are. And, I, I mean, that sounds great to me. And if, if add, add in the fact that he is 26-2 and two as a starter. He has played in three college football playoffs. He started in two national title games. He's played well in one of them. Um, this is such a no-brainer. And the people who are going off about how they don't want Jalen Hurts or they're better off, we're better off with Kendall or Mordecai, please give me what you guys are smoking because you guys just, you're totally over your skis on this one. This is such a no-brainer and nothing but a positive for Oklahoma if Jalen Hurts is their quarterback next year. Just the thought of him, the thought of him running in the Big Twelve. Are you freaking kidding me? He will That's be a dominant short sure yardage Riley, guy in the Big Twelve. Dominant. Yeah, I'm sure Riley does love that aspect of him because then he got to utilize Kyler Murray's legs quite a bit this season, and then you throw Jalen Hurts in there that he also has a leg component as well. It's different than Kyler Murray's, but still, it's it's high level stuff. I mean, he's an elite runner as a quarterback in college football. So. And That's also, all the I have on and Hertz. also is okay. is an a for college is an above average thrower. Now, when we're when we're comparing him to to Tua and Kyler and Baker, yeah, he's he's definitely a limited thrower. But you know, he's a guy who I think he has the arm strength to make all of all of the throws that that need to be made. I don't think he's going to be as consistent with his accuracy by any stretch of the imagination. But this is a guy who's certainly not going to blink under pressure. That's true. That was true, and just uh, you know, you mentioned that we took some, sh- we've taken some shots at him. I will say, in the I believe twenty seventeen season preview podcast, I think you predicted Hertz would win the Heisman Trophy. I did, <laughs> so, yeah. So that was a nice thing to say about. Well, him. Well, it wasn't that weird. I mean, he was as a as a true freshman, he was the SEC Offensive Player of the Year, um, and he was playing on you know an Alabama team that is Alabama, and so I just you know yeah. tried to tried to put two and two together. All right, that's all I have on Hertz in this topic. Anything else that you there want to will add? Be, yeah, if we if, if we get some good news on Jalen Hurts here in the next you know few days, there will obviously be uh, you know an uncountable amount of you know of minutes and hours we'll spend talking about Jalen Hurts on this podcast between now and in August. That's that's for darn sure. Uh, but I just it, th- this is something that I think OU fans need to be on the lookout for. They should be positive about it. This squarely, in my opinion, makes OU the obvious number three team in the country going into next year, and and a favorite to get back to the playoff. I'm not I, I'm not going to come out and say that they're going to be able to compete for a national championship. You know where we are now because I I don't necessarily think that's true. 
watched the two teams that played last week, uh, OU's not close to be on the level of those guys. But they can certainly get a lot closer with Jalen Hurts, you know, helping out during this bridge year. And I guess I do have one final thing. Here's my thoughts on this. If you're Jalen Hurts and the reports are true that Lincoln Riley has essentially pegged you as a guy that he wants to come and play quarterback for him in 2019, logically, how do you say no to that? And now we have, again, there's nothing official. We don't know what his decision is going to be. I just think now, especially that Kyler Murray has declared for the NFL draft and Jalen Hurts knows that Austin Kendall's in the transfer portal. I just have a difficult time believing if that's true that Lincoln Riley has recruited Jalen Hurts and wants him to come play quarterback at Oklahoma. I just don't know how a quarterback says no to that. So I have a pretty good feeling about Jalen Hurts coming to Oklahoma. Just have a just have a feeling. If that's true that Lincoln Riley wants him, I don't know why you'd say no to that. I just don't understand why you would. Logic dictates that that would probably be the wisest decision for him. But as human beings, Lee, we are very, very complex individuals. And I think just, you know, nobody knows what Jalen Hurts has going on in his head. And it's it's certainly plausible that the number one criteria for him in choosing a transfer school is not, you know, winning a national championship or putting up great numbers. That might not be his you know, his his number one criteria. He might want to go play with someone he's a, he's comfortable with, like Mike Loxley at Maryland. And the same could be could be said about Dan Enos over at Miami. But yeah, from a logical standpoint, if he wants to win a national championship, um, I think Oklahoma, going to Oklahoma of all of the schools that have, you know, given him the option to do so, uh, you know, that's certainly logically his, his best option. Or even if he wants to pursue a career in the NFL, maybe. A year in Riley's system, putting some good OU tape, uh, some good tape at OU. I mean, that could... Yeah, it just makes sense. It, it makes sense make from that money. standpoint, for sure. Before we look back on our 2018 season predictions, I'd like to thank all of you who have left a rating and or a review for the show recently. I just read a recent review saying a guy's brother turned him onto the podcast and he's listened to the show ever since. Says the show reminds him of how he and his brother have fun arguing points back and forth about Sooner football. Awesome stuff there. It means a lot to Grant and I that you like the show and that guys like your brother are spreading the word of West of Everest. And honestly, this show wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the fact that Grant and I argue about stuff all the time. That's what we do. So we're thankful that there are people out there who find what we say and what we argue about to be somewhat interesting. Feel free to lift up your phone. Tap the rating, leave a review if you have not already. Grant and I will continue to look for ways to keep the podcast fun and fresh during the long college football offseason. You can like the show on Facebook, and you can also like the show on Facebook to get show updates and then communicate with us, send us messages, things like that. And you can follow Grant on Twitter. Grant's Twitter is at GrantBenson25. I am at LeeBensonNews9. And as always, thanks for listening to West of Everest, and thanks for the support. Jalen Hurts coming to OU would be the best possible thing for this podcast. Endless, <laughs> endless content. So much to talk about. And then you might get some Alabama fans that uh, would still like to listen to the podcast that maybe found us during the the bull buy break before the Orange Bowl that listened in. So yeah, that'd be good. I hope so. That'd be great. Um, actually, before we go, before we get into the our preseason predictions, do you have any lingering thoughts, Lee, on the national championship game? Because we actually have not had a podcast since that game has been played. 
Well, the main thought is that I was dead wrong about it, and I guess you were too. We both were big yeah, on Bama. completely. And we were texting kind of the day after thing, saying, you know, are, is it possible that we're just too close to this, that we just weren't seeing the big picture? Because I, I really enjoyed my handicap of why Alabama would win that game and potentially could win that game by double digits. I just I don't think Clemson played anybody all year. I don't think, but it's almost like they kind of sandbagged a lot of the way, and then when the lights were the brightest, I mean, they played really well. But also, and I know you have some thoughts too. I'm probably I might steal some of your thoughts. It just it was a game. I'll just leave it at this for now. It was a game where everything went right for Clemson and nothing went right for Alabama, and a, a team like Clemson obviously is very very good. They won the national championship. But man, I, in a weird way, I think that game was was not as much of a blowout as the score indicated, just because of all the breaks that Clemson got. I thought, I mean, Alabama moved the football pretty easily for the most part, with the exception of in the red zone. In a weird way, it was kind of like in 2008 when OU played Florida and the Sooners moved the ball pretty easily between the 20s, but then couldn't punch the ball into the end zone in the red zone for the most part. So it was a weird game. I was wrong. Uh Congratulations to Clemson, and uh, I do have some thoughts. Uh, well, I will have some – not I will. Grant, you have some thoughts, actually, on Clemson later in the show during our – looking back at our preseason predictions, but we'll talk about that in a little bit, though. But what are your thoughts on the game? Uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, – I was wrong. You know, I, I picked Alabama, and I think I picked them to win comfortably, actually. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I sort of – I share your thoughts as well. That was a um, – Clearly, I think I undersold Clemson. That was a game. This was a game, you know, that I thought Alabama would probably win eight out of ten times. I don't, I don't think that's the case anymore. I think Clemson is is much closer to Alabama in that regard. Um, especially those those two receivers that Clemson have are absolute nightmares. Those guys are insanely good. Um, so and, and also too, you know, I we're we're about to get just two years of insanely annoying Trevor Lawrence talk, and everyone's going to be super tired of it. I mean, I hate to say it, but the guy—the guy is—I mean, he—he he might be worth the hype. He's incredibly good. So um, I, I do just want to say that, um, just in case, over the next two years, if I do say anything bad about Trevor Lawrence, everyone knows just from the straight up. I think the guy is incredibly talented, and is—he—he he is probably worth all of the hype uh, coming his way. But other than that, Lee, um, when you look at a game like that, what was the final forty-four to sixteen? Um, that sounds right. When two teams like that play in a game, and those two teams have an insane amount of talent, and Alabama, you know, honestly has more of it, you know, up and down their roster. When Clemson wins a game like that by four touchdowns, it is a fluke. The final score of that game was a fluke. Clemson, you did a great job that night. I think they should hold that game in high regard in that program forever. That's a game that I hope all of their fans go back and can enjoy forever. It was great. It was amazing. It was a fluke. They got very lucky to win by that much on uh last week and that, that's basically kind of all i have to say about it i'm not trying to take anything away from clemson they were them in alabama very very clearly on a completely different level than everyone else on college football and lee i'll kind of just I'll, I'll end it with this um i think going forward that uh that watching that game really is going to help me enjoy oklahoma a lot more and i said something similar after the orange bowl because, Lee, after watching that game, I came to the conclusion OU's not close to beating either of those teams. Uh, they're just not at all. And I, I think it's it's, it's going to really help me focus in on just OU, divorce my mind from just only thinking about national championships. Um, I think right now OU just needs to focus on being being the best program they possibly can be. 
Yeah, there's two things. One, obviously, you got to be dominant in the trenches, and Clemson just is dominant. And even though they were giving up a lot of yards between the 20s, for whatever reason, Alabama could not move them when they got inside the 10-yard line, the 20-yard line. That was incredibly impressive that Clemson was able to stymie Alabama so much. And two, after watching that game, it, I'm sure Lincoln Riley probably watched it and thought, man, I really should have just dialed up a lot more plays where literally I said, Kyler, just throw the ball really high up in the air to CeeDee Lamb and high up in the air to like Lee Morris and Charleston Rambo, some of the t- some of the taller guys. Hell, Carson Meyer, because Carson Meyer is like 6'5". Because it seemed like that's what basically was the Clemson offense. They just threw it up. Trevor Lawrence put it up real high for those really big, tall, awesome receivers. And yeah, they did get wide open way too much, which is another annoying thing about that game. Like, where was this against Oklahoma where the, th- the, the worst... And I'm going to go on a tangent, but... You know, it was a bad night when I mean, obviously, the pick six was, you know, that that was not a good sign for Alabama. But then defensively, because Alabama's defense was playing pretty darn well. Then all of a sudden it's third and 14 and they just allow. I can't remember if it was T Higgins or is it Justin Ross, the other receiver? They just allowed that guy just to literally just run straight up the seam on a nine route and got behind everybody. And Trevor Lawrence just was like, oh, thanks. And just threw to him wide open. He got like 60 yards. It's like, what? What? Like, this is Alabama's defense. How are they just giving up a basic nine route down the middle of the field to a wide open guy? Like, this is weird, man. This is not right. And so at that point, it's like, well, this is not going to be a good night for Alabama. So it that was weird to me. I, I don't understand how they gave that up. It's almost like they were like, ah, oh, there's no way they're going to try this. It's third and 14. They're just going to try to go in their uh, shell and throw it short. We're going to rally up and tackle, but I don't know. That was a weird thing. So that, that's all I have on that game. I, that was a really random uh, kind of rant. Yeah, but, it was. Uh, it was a super weird game. Clemson made all of the of the very important plays, and Alabama did not. And I think that's a very a very reductionist and simple way to you know uh, to clarify that game. Oh, Lee, can I just uh, you? I've I've mentioned this to you as well, and this is more of just a gripe that I had. Um, Clemson played really well in that game. Uh, there's the one play that has really bugged me was the one in which uh, Savion Smith tore his Achilles, and and Justin Ross or uh, Justin Ross scored on it. Can we please stop giving Clemson credit for that play? Yeah, because that was also a third down play, I think, as well, where I think it a was. Bama stop would have would have been huge, and I think they would have been able to. I can't remember what the score was at the time. Maybe it was a one or two possession. That game, was when but... they were down thirty-one to sixteen. That was that was the drive right after that the was really kind of, so that was kind of the fail shield goal. Yeah, that was the oh, kill yeah. shot. Um, because like Trevor Lawrence was legitimately being like touched when he released that ball, and if Savion Smith literally just would not have torn his Achilles on the play, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence would have been sacked. So, um, or it would have been incomplete, or it would have been knocked away. Or, or unless, yes, it just unless Ross made a crazy that, catch that. That play was perfectly covered by Alabama sands the torn Achilles by Savion Smith. So that's that just bugged me because it never once was mentioned on the broadcast or on Twitter or anything after the game that ugh, Clemson got really lucky on that play. wasn't wasn't mentioned once. So and that just bugged me, and I just needed to bring it up. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. Okay, let's look back now on what we got right and what we got wrong when we were making our predictions for the 2018 season. I've got some clips to play from episode 63. You're going to hear some of our best predictions and some some of our worst predictions. 
And to start things off, I've got a annoying clip to play from early on in episode 63. And episode 63, by the way, was our big season preview podcast. So before we made any season predictions in that podcast, Grant, you and I said this. We've taken away some of the categories because it was kind of obvious some of the things. Um, For example, Oklahoma's leading rusher, I think it's pretty clear that both of us would predict Rodney Anderson. He's the bell cow back. Uh, You know, Trey Sermon's there, but uh, it would be kind of you're trying to be different if you select Sermon or anybody else. So is that fair to say, Grant, that Rodney Anderson, that that's a category that we can just skip over? Yeah, very, very much so. I I don't I mean, barring, like you said, any sort of injury, there's I mean, yeah, he's going to be the guy, obviously. And obviously he he got hurt. Of course, of course he got hurt. So uh, sorry to bum you all out, but I listened back to the episode and you know, I just had to play that clip for you all because it just sucks that Rodney Anderson got injured. So do you remember Do you remember us saying that, Grant? Yeah, I do. In fact, I remember even slipping in the, the, whole, the, you know, the injury thing in there just, you know, just to help with, with maybe like a reverse jinx or something like that, um, but... Of yeah. course. In fact, actually, yeah, after Rodney got hurt, I instantly, my mind like instantly went to our, our preview podcast, too, for some reason. So, mm-hmm. Well, that was fun. I've got six more pieces of audio to play from that season preview episode. Some of the clips are great predictions, and one of them is actually pretty terrible, and Grant, it's from you. So, uh, But I will say you, you had one or two pretty nice predictions that we'll play as well. Before, though, we play any of those clips, we'll tackle some of the predictions that we got right, but were also pretty easy to predict. Now, Grant, you and I both predicted that Marquise Brown would be the Sooners' leading receiver, and he was, beating out C.D. Lamb by about 150 yards. And you and I also predicted that Kenneth Murray would lead the team in tackles. Murray finished with 155 tackles, which was 16 more than Curtis Bolton, who was in second place. Any thoughts on those relatively easy predictive categories not really other than the I I just remember when I was trying to decide who the leading tackler was going to be I was waffling between Kenneth Murray and Caleb Kelly and my reasoning for Caleb Kelly was that he was playing the Emmanuel Beal role um that inside linebacker position and you know Emmanuel Beal led the team in tackles last year you know I Mm. obviously at that time I just I did not think that it was even remotely possible that Caleb Kelly was was going to be the backup to Curtis Bolton at that time. It just didn't make any sense to me. And that was that was one thing that I think a lot of us just didn't see coming, um, that a lot of people got wrong. And I also made a note here that during that conversation, I mentioned that there's a chance that Buki could be in the conversation for this one. <laughs> well, he was not in the conversation for it when it came down to it. Buki finished the season with 39 tackles. So, uh, yeah. That'll, that's the first part of uh, you know our wrong predictions about Buki. So next, we uh, predicted our leader in sacks, and you and I were both pretty off on this one. Grant, you said Kenneth Mann, which it made sense at the time because Kenneth Mann actually led Oklahoma, I believe, in sacks. Uh, or as, as far as returning players went, Kenneth Mann had the most sacks in 2017. I said Amani Bledsoe, and Bledsoe finished with two sacks. Kenneth Mann finished with one sack. And the leader in sacks for Oklahoma this year was Ronnie Perkins with five. So that was a tough one. And we talked about how difficult that one was back then, too. So that was a difficult one. 
Perkins. I don't think we really could have seen that coming. Can we talk about Kenneth Mann only having one sack this year? He's not a pass rusher. All right. Yeah, we're going to – I can't wait to hear the excuses for Kenneth Mann next year. It's going to be fun. Isn't Kenneth Mann done? Was this when that was last year? Was he? No, I don't think so. Him. I think he's. I thought he was a redshirt junior. I thought he's back. Oh yeah, you're back. You're right. He'll be back. Yeah, we'll see where Kenneth Mann fits in in the Alex Grinch defense. That'll be interesting. Next category, most. This is a. This will be maybe an interesting discussion because I actually don't have the answer to this question. Most important offensive player besides quarterback. Obviously, the most important player on offense was Kyler Murray. So that's why we did besides quarterback. You and I both said Rodney Anderson. And then Rodney Anderson got injured in week two. So, Grant, outside of Kyler Murray, who do you think was the most important offensive player this year? Was Hollywood. It CD, uh, uh, okay, so Marquise Brown. Yeah, it, okay. was, it would be, you know, I, I would say in any given game, it was a toss-up between Hollywood and CeeDee Lamb, depending on just who had the bigger game that day. Like, so, for instance, CD was much more important in the Big 12 championship game than Hollywood was. You could make the argument, though, at certain points of the year that Kennedy Brooks was the most important offensive player. Yeah, you when could. The, when the running game was kind of starting to stall with Trey Sermon. You could, so, yeah. I, I but, mean, on, on that track, you could you could argue for Creed Humphrey because their running game sort of took off when he wow, was yeah, that's into actually, the starting lineup. Wow, that's very true. So, yeah, but I think you're right, though. Hollywood's probably the answer to that question. But, yeah, I, Creed Humphrey, yeah, at certain points of the year. Good call. So, on the other side of the ball, most important defensive player, and I think this is pretty interesting. I said Kenneth Murray. You said it. You said two different players. You said Kenneth Murray and also Neville Gallimore. And so I'd say we can have a discussion on this one too. So the actual most important defensive player, I think, I think Grant, you were right. I, Kenneth Murray, also Gallimore, and also you can throw in there Curtis Bolton, right? Yeah, I think. Um I think in who terms of say? like who is the most like I think Bolton ended up being probably the most valuable player just because he was he was the only guy who was like you know had shown sh- you know showed any semblance of like a playmaking ability. Um, I would still say Kenneth Murray was the most was the most important player over the course of the year just because I, I think whenever the Sooners were getting roasted and looking terrible a lot of the time Kenneth Murray was right in the middle of that. Um, so especially yeah. especially with his with his just atrocious coverage over the middle of the field. He is he is still the <laughs> he, he's he, he is sorry, the worst just, he is the worst linebacker I've ever seen in coverage. And just, and like I, I don't sorry, I, I, I do not that. say that lightly. Uh so again, I mean Kenneth Murray's future at Oklahoma, I, it will be so interesting. In the spotlight. I'm so yeah. interested what, with the new uh, coaching staff. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I think I probably kind of overthinking that there. He'll probably be the starting middle linebacker next year, but um, I'm just hoping some some change in philosophy will help him. Um, he's he's a he's a really athletic and, and talented football player in general. I think he's certainly playing out of position. Um, I'll be super interested to see what Alex Grinch has up his sleeve for Kenneth Murray because that's a guy that I think you got to have on the field. He's just he's he's such an athlete. He looks looks so freaking good in his uniform. You got he's 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 got to be on the field. Yeah, I agree. Next category was sleeper offensive impact player. And I got to say, I uh, pretty much nailed this one. I said Kennedy Brooks. And Grant, you kind of went a different route with this one, if you remember. You said Trey Sermon. Yeah. And let's see. I have some notes here. You mentioned that. You said that Sermon was going to run for 1,000 yards this year. Got close. And he did. Oh, he did run for 1,000? 
I got the stats up here real quick. Let me double check. I thought, I he, thought he ran for like 980. Rushing. Oh, 947. I thought he did. Okay. He was close. He was close. So the actual sleeper offensive impact player, I think, was obviously Kennedy Brooks. See, I actually disagree with that. Just because his him becoming an impact player was due to unforeseen circumstances. Um, and he was just sort of just like thrown in. I, I, th- I think the obvious one is Carson Meyer. Because right, well, I had him as honorable mention. Yeah, because he was part of the offense the entire season. Yeah, and he was pretty darn important. He ended up playing that Dimitri Flowers role pretty well. And I don't know. So, we could you could yeah. also put. I mean, you could probably also put Lee Morris in there. I think he was the third leading receiver on the team. Caught a lot of touchdowns, but he sort of disappeared yeah. in the last month of the season. But let's see. Yeah, Lee Morris. He had twenty-one catches for four hundred and fifty-seven yards and eight touchdowns third leading receiver on the team yeah lee morris is definitely and then if you want to go offensive line again go with creed humphrey all right sleeper defensive impact player this one was kind of interesting so grant yours uh, i don't know if yours panned out very well you said dty delaren turner yell and then you know, he was kind of injured and didn't really play a whole lot i said two different players and one of them was pretty good the other one was not even close i said trey brown and then also maybe Tyrese Lott. And I don't think Tyrese Lott got a whole lot of PT, but Trey Brown certainly did this year. But I think the actual sleeper defensive impact player had to, has to be Curtis Bolton because no one saw that coming. Yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty obvious. And then I said Trey Brown is honorable mention because people were talking about Trey Brown, but he didn't start right away. So he kind of came in and he was a starter. Yeah. Offensive impact freshman. And I just reused Kennedy Brooks for this one and Grant you said Braden Willis who I think had a couple catches uh, we'll see if his role increases it'll probably increase next year and I think the actual obvious one uh, Kennedy Brooks was definitely the offensive impact freshman and yeah, he was he was really the only freshman who besides Creed Humphrey I guess you uh, could, Creed Humphrey Humphrey, you could, you could put Creed in there uh but yeah I mean I just I'll I'll give you credit for Brooks but the the truth is if Rodney Anderson wouldn't have gotten hurt he he really wouldn't have stepped on the field this year, so. No, we don't know that. We don't know that for sure. I guess I we don't know it for sure, but I mean, I, the guy wasn't even like what it, it took. Uh, what game? It was like the it was the Kansas State game was like the first time he took like most of the carries, wasn't it? I can't remember. Because he only I he, can't he only had like three carries against Texas, and I can't remember exactly what he did against TCU. That doesn't matter. Kennedy Brooks had a good season. I'm excited to watch him uh, next year. He's, I think, clearly yeah. is him and him and him and Sermon. I think actually do have a pretty good one-two punch thing going on there. Um, yeah, I, and I think TJ Pledger. We'll see what happens with him. And we got Marcus Major coming in and Ramon J. Yeah. Stevenson as well. So we'll we'll see. And finally, the last player-specific prediction we did was defensive impact freshman, and this is where basically everybody in the Big Twelve was wrong because you and I both said Buki and. The actual winner of that award goes to Ronnie Perkins. Five sacks, started pretty much all year at defensive end. And uh, I'll just i just say this, Grant. Uh, during that podcast, you said that you thought Buki would have a Tony Jefferson-like first season. Yeah, I, you know. Did he? Well, no, of course not. <laughs> I, I don't even remember he Tony wasn't, Jefferson. He, he, much, wasn't, so. he wasn't given the opportunity to do so. All right, so... Again, that's all of our OU player predictions. Now it's time to have a little more fun. This is where we get into our team predictions. And with that, 
I've got a couple of clips to play. We predicted what Oklahoma's trap game would be in 2018. Now, both of us had two different games. And Grant, to your credit, you said that Texas Tech was the first trap game that came to mind for you. And I also selected Texas Tech as a trap game. I picked that meeting in Lubbock as my second trap game of the season. Now, what did I pick as my first trap game? Well, listen in. My first trap game happens in September. And maybe it's not the September game that most people would uh, think it is, especially after hearing me talk on this podcast for months. My September trap game is September 22nd at home against Army. And I'll paint this picture for you. All right, you got Oklahoma coming off a revenge-type W over Iowa State in Ames, feeling pretty good about themselves, probably now hopefully 3-0 and on the season. The next up, you got Army. You think, Army, whatever, not good. Oklahoma's going to roll them, but not so fast. Army was good last year. They run the option, which is not fun to defend. That's a trap game, even though it's a home game. So, yeah, kind of nailed that one. 28-21 overtime. Yeah, you did. And I'm still upset about that game. In fact, the entire OU coaching staff had the exact same thoughts about Army as you did. So much so that they didn't even prepare for the game. So, um, Well, they had all the thoughts of like the typical fan. That's, that I was saying, no, you can't, you can't have that, those thoughts. But yeah, I get your point. And yeah, and I still, my, my opinions on Army still haven't changed that much. I still, you know, I think any team with a pulse destroys them, even now. And, and I, I realize no, they went 11 and ridiculous. 2. That's ridiculous. No, not any team with a pulse. Get out of here. Yeah, I just think any, any team that goes in trying to beat Army will, will beat them fairly easily. Now, Army was really good in 2018. They've had a soft schedule, but I mean, that, that's a tough team to play. Now, I, I think you're just trying to deflect from your other trap game, Grant. No, no, this one's really bad. This was awful. I This was the worst. What The thing you're about to hear, this is the most wrong I've ever been about a singular game of college football in my entire life. It's a great setup. Here it is. Lee, I have here, just kind of at the end, just for my second trap game, I have, but let's be real, the biggest trap game is on September 1st against FAU. Because it is. It's the biggest one. I, I just I, I sense a a weird amongst the fan base, just like a, a weird confidence about this game for some reason. Like it's not a big deal. I this is FAU is like the third or fourth best team they're gonna play this upcoming season. They they would be I mean they'd be in the top half of the Big Twelve. I'm dead serious. Ooh. All right. Well you were let's put it this way. I also thought FAU would be a challenge, so I'm not gonna sit here and say that I was saying that Oklahoma would kill FAU because for months leading up, I was concerned about FAU, too. I think by the time we got to game week, though, I think I switched up and I, I picked Oklahoma to cover and win pretty comfortably. But, yeah, you, that I don't think FAU would be in the top part of the Big 12. I no, don't think that's... No, uh, FAU yeah. was, not, was not a good team this year. And you know what? They, they returned a lot of guys from a team um, that once they hit their stride the season before, they just destroyed everybody. And they returned a lot of guys from that team, um, and I just I, I had seen it way too many times as an OU fan in my life, and uh, it, it turned out that Kendall Bryles, it's it, I think retrospectively was the reason they were so good a couple seasons ago, 
Um, and once he left, it, it, they didn't really have a chance to replicate what they did the season before. So I was obviously very wrong about that. In fact, you're probably going to bring up a lot of stuff, stupid stuff that I said in the preseason. Um, I will, <laughs> I will freely admit that uh, this was this was the first time since I can really remember that I just could not get a feel for the college football season whatsoever. So and, leading up to this, go sorry, go ahead. And, and I think, and I think near the end of the season, it seemed pretty. Like it, it's not that crazy to think because it it was it really was just Alabama, Clemson, and just a whole bunch of crap basically. So leading up to this podcast, the last couple of days, Grant was just not excited about this segment, and now I kind of understand why going back because you had a tough time predicting stuff in the preseason. It was not your best. This is not the reason prediction this, show. This is not the reason why I was I was upset <laughs> going to the segment. Oh, I was upset just because I don't I like the 2018 season. I've been very upfront about my feelings of it. This the season sucked. And I just I want to move on from this season as quickly as humanly possible. I just don't really want to talk about it. It's the the 2018 season in my mind is dead. It's gone. There's no reason to talk about it anymore. That's where I was coming from. I just don't. I, I guess I was in my mind. I was thinking, okay, we're gonna go and talk about stuff that happened over 2018, but not a whole lot of interesting stuff happened over 2018. This OU team was the most black and white OU team I have ever seen in my entire life. The offense was incredibly amazing, and the defense was literally the worst in program history. Couldn't stop anybody. And there's really no other way to, to even break this season down. They gave, up, they gave up like 500 yards and 40 points to Kansas at home, for God's sakes. <laughs> but hey, that's a, another example of why Neville Gallimore was one of the most important defensive players, because he didn't play in that game. And that's why Kansas was able to get to 40. He could not stop the run. All right, we also... <laughs> <laughs> oh, 40 to Kansas all right Oklahoma's oh Oklahoma's regular season record we predicted that I said oh you would go 11 and 1 Grant you said 10 and 2 and Oklahoma did go 11 and 1 and you know what I even did and I didn't capture the audio with this I said the most likely games Oklahoma would lose in order would be Texas number one West Virginia number two and then I said number three FAU which <laughs> okay well that but hey, I said I figured I said the main game they'd probably lose is Texas, so I feel pretty good about that prediction. Grant, uh, you just we're not very high in Oklahoma, ten and two, man. Two years in a row, you predicted ten and two. Come on, man. I I I will <laughs> I will admit that I expected Kyler Murray to be like kind of awesome. I did not expect him to have yeah. maybe the best season in the history of college football. To literally carry the defense as much as he did until the defense against West Virginia helped him out a couple times. Yep undervalued or underrated big 12 team another fun one for me uh grant you thought tcu was being undervalued and i thought iowa state was kind of being undervalued and the winner of that iowa state iowa state was picked to finish seventh in the big 12 by the media members and iowa state finished third in the big 12 and TCU was picked to finish i believe second or third in the big 12 and they finished down i think it's sixth I had the Big Twelve standings up, and I let him go. My bad. But uh, yeah, you uh, you were on you were high on TCU. I'll probably be back on the TCU train by next year too. I don't know. I just I, I like to look at like results and history of what's happened. And um, TCU still, since they've entered the Big Twelve, has been the second best program in the league to Oklahoma. Um, still, so. Um, and to be fair, the media was on your side. The media had TCU, again, as the third best team in the Big 12. They had them at number three behind OU and West Virginia. So well, you, it wasn't a crazy 
And also, I mean, TCU, I think, of all the teams in the Big 12, was was by far the most impacted by by catastrophic injuries. I mean, that was that was the most injured team in the Big 12. And they still somehow they still somehow finished with like a top 20 defense and they won their bowl game, which was, as we said, the most glorious, amazing bowl (laughs) game probably ever in the history of the world. Okay, TCU finished fifth in the Big 12. So, I mean, with all the injuries, actually not – take everything into account, not too terrible for Gary Patterson. How about overrated Big 12 team going into the season? Grant, uh, you said West Virginia. I said TCU. And the actual winner of this one goes to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State going in was picked to finish fifth in the Big 12. Okay, that's fair. The Cowboys finished ninth in the Big 12, Grant. So there were four spots below. And then uh, our predictions of TCU and West Virginia, I said, I said TCU, said West Virginia. Actually, they were kind of the same because TCU was, finished, was predicted to finish third and TCU finished fifth, so two spots down. West Virginia was picked to finish, what, second? And West Virginia finished fourth. So, And also I have go. to point out that West Virginia was being touted as a legitimate college football playoff. Uh, contender, and they finished eight and four. So I think I got that one right. Yeah, but West Virginia was also like one win away. I mean, they beat Oklahoma, and they didn't beat Oklahoma. But you know, there were some conversations that they could still do something. If they, beat they got OU. they got absolutely destroyed by Iowa State, like a like an Alabama against like Vanderbilt yeah. beat down. That's like how bad it was. Yeah, that's true. Big 12 championship game. I said it'd be Oklahoma versus West Virginia. You said it'd be OU TCU. And of course, it was OU Texas. Nothing to see here. All right. So let's get to the national stuff. We got some more clips to play. And let's see. Look at my notes. We talked about the overrated or overvalued national team. And so for this, I continued my Penn State hate and picked the Nittany Lions. Not so sure if this was a good prediction or a bad prediction or just kind of like a whatever prediction because Penn State was 10th in the AP preseason poll and the Nittany Lions went nine and four lost their bowl game to Kentucky and finished 17th in the AP poll so I guess technically I was right but that prediction you were, you were could, kind could of right better. about that I think you were yeah I mean because like Penn State I think was always sort of there but they were the entire season they were an afterthought because they were so just mad they like they almost lost their their first game of the season Appalachian State um and then yeah, just I, never really like they I think they they lost two games like really close games and they lost to Ohio State, and Michigan State. And then they just got embarrassed by Michigan. If you remember oh yeah, that. And then I'm oh yeah. sorry, losing to Kentucky is embarrassing. That's not a very good football team. Yeah, And Trace McSorley having a completion percentage around 53 percent is also embarrassing. Yeah, that surprised me. I was uh, you guys know me. I was I'm a pretty big defender of Trace McSorley as a guy who is a huge hater of Trace McSorley. And then decided to come around. And of course, as soon as I do that, he has by far his worst season of college football. So, yeah. But, you know, you could add better prediction, or I could add a better prediction like your prediction, Grant. Oh, yeah, ranked- I nailed this one. <laughs> ranked 15th in the preseason AP poll, USC was the school that Grant took exception with. Listen to this. Wait, I got to go with USC again. They-, they should be nowhere near the top 25 anywhere. Um, so I, I just 15th in the coaches poll. Yeah. Wow, they're above, they're above, they're above, wow. They're above TCU and that's laughable. Um, and, and I know the, the coaches poll shouldn't really put a ton of stock in that, but 
you know, Clay Helton runs a very unimaginative offense, and I can see him being fired after back-to-back eight and four seasons. He's not a good coach. Well, Clay Helton did not get fired. He's, but that, a lot of that has to do with like behind-the-scenes stuff at USC. And I think we've briefly discussed on the pot. He didn't get fired because they were expecting Cliff Kingsbury to come in and save his butt. Yeah, well. Uh, and they're like well, kind of screwed too, there's, there's weird like, stuff going so on at USC. They're so screwed. Yeah, their their administration is clearly just yeah. very incompetent. Um, you know, I just yeah, Clay Helton is this he he's a dead man walking this so year. So yeah, they USC fifteenth no in the preseason, unranked to end the excuse me to end the year, not even receiving any votes. But honestly, Grant, that that wasn't like the main overrated team in the preseason, though. I mean, I found a, a few more. I mean, USC was was one of the best picks, though. So yeah, you you, you nailed it. But what about Wisconsin? Wisconsin, Auburn would be the two that immediately Wisconsin, come to I mind. think, was ranked fourth in the preseason A people. Yeah. I hey, I picked them to make the playoffs. Yeah, so did I. And we and we we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, so did I. So I mean we were both high in Wisconsin. You kind of convinced me. Wisconsin finished like I think they got a couple votes at the end of the year. And uh Auburn was number uh, number nine in the preseason coaches, uh preseason A P poll, finished out of the top twenty five. Any other teams that I don't, you probably don't have it, the rankings in front of you, but uh, Miami was Ooh, terrible yeah, this was year. My, oh God, they yeah, they were the top number 10. eight in the top top twenty five to start the season. You could make an argument for Washington as well. They ended up losing four games. I know they went to the yeah, Rose Washington Bowl, was number but, six. Um, they were a team that was. Uh, let's see. Mm. I mean, there's one team that I'm thinking of, but I don't want to mention it because we we're saving that for the very end. So okay, yeah, you can bring so, that up. So uh, okay, there. so we'll move on to the next one. Uh, so we did overrated. Now let's do underrated, oh, uh, undervalued national team. And for this one, I think we both kind of just we were both pretty terrible on this one. I I didn't really know to pick. I I picked FAU because I thought they should have been ranked in the top twenty-five, which was dumb. And also I picked Oregon because I thought Oregon had like a favorable schedule and they'd be better. But eh. and then Grant, you went with Auburn, and Auburn was actually one of the overrated teams. So, I mean, this could be a lot of teams that were undervalued. I found a few. Washington State wasn't ranked. Florida wasn't ranked at the start of the year. LSU was number 25, I think. Syracuse wasn't ranked. Kentucky wasn't ranked. And all these teams finished in the top 25. Some of these teams in the top 10. So, that was a lot in college football. A lot of these teams that aren't ranked at the start. Yeah. There was just a lot of mediocrity this year. A lot of it. True. Moving on to the Heisman Trophy predictions and unlike in 2017 i did not correctly predict the winner of the stiff arm statue on this podcast yeah if i oh i should have and we're you're uh, nobody remembers who i picked for good reason but god i really wish i just would have gone with my gut on this one and i i just i didn't have the balls was your gut kyler murray that was your gut yeah so you decided to go instead go with a running back jonathan taylor and a quarterback award. So good. So Grant, you picked Jonathan Taylor. I took Will Greer, uh, who was kind of in the race for a little bit, but then not really because then it turned into Tua versus Kyler. So uh, I will say though, while I was picking Will Greer to win the Heisman, I did say something else during my soliloquy that stood out, and maybe you'll hear it a little bit too. I'm gonna keep banging the West Virginia drum until uh, it looks stupid to do so. And so that means that I'm going to go with Will Greer to win the Heisman because it's a quarterback award. I've already actually uh, 
ask some friends that uh, can do this legally to throw a little bit of a little bit of money on Greer to win the Heisman. So I'm putting my money where my mouth is. And I'm going to pick Will Greer to win the Heisman Trophy this year. And, I, and also, to be fair, I have a couple other long shot guys. I threw uh, I threw a little bit of cash on Kyler Murray, and I also threw a little bit of cash on a uh, real long shot UCF's McKenzie Milton. So, Kyler Murray winning the Heisman did benefit me in the in the end, even though I did not pick him to win it. McKenzie Milton until he broke his leg was not going to win the Heisman, but he had a good season. So yeah, and. Just for what it's worth, uh, all the money I won off Kyler Murray winning the Heisman, uh, it's gone now. So, not good with money. So, Grant, you mentioned the Final Four. We mentioned Wisconsin earlier. Uh, you predicted it would be Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and Wisconsin. And I predicted Bama, Clemson, OU, and Wisconsin. And so, I got three of the four. You got two of the four because it was of course Bama Clemson OU and Notre Dame so yeah I mean the two the two ones were easy it was the other two that were kind of difficult and then uh national championship both of us picked Alabama and of course Clemson won and uh you guys are fooling yourselves if you don't think I'm not picking Bama <laughs> to win it to win it all again next year I absolutely am so just want to throw that out well there. while we're on Clemson even though you mentioned Bama we're on Clemson because they won it all. Let's play a clip from this pre or our preseason prediction show from you, Grant, uh, and it stood out to me. So you were talking about all of your final four teams that you were predicting. So Bama, Clemson, let's see, Georgia, and Wisconsin. And so this is what you said when you got to talking about Clemson. Let me see if I can find it. Here we go. The little blurb I have about Clemson doesn't seem very nice for a team that I'm picking as basically the number two team in the country. Um, you know, but it says, you know, I've, I've been really critical of Kelly Bryant. Um, and I'm just going to flat out, they're not going to win a national championship with him as the quarterback. No chance. None at all. Um, so I, I think they're going to get here uh, by virtue of an insanely talented defense. Um, and a lot of teams that aren't really going to be able to stretch that defense. Um, but in terms of winning the national championship, they're going to have to pray that Trevor Lawrence is the second coming. And he's not going to be. He's a true freshman. <laughs> so <laughs> I really wish he just I really wish he just would have cut it off right there <laughs> instead of the it's just cut it off before you say he's not going to be. Yeah. So you had some you know, a lot of stuff in there. I mean, you were right about the Kelly Bryant stuff. 100 percent right about that. And you're kind of right about the, the Trevor Lawrence stuff until the part where you said he wasn't going to be good or at least the second coming. So. Well, I didn't think, you know, I... I mean, who would have thought that? If, if you would have told me that he was going to, you know, complete like 70% of his throws for 350 yards and four touchdowns against Alabama in the national title, I, I would have I said you're insane. Yeah. So I, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Yeah. So I found that pretty interesting as I was listening back when you mentioned Trevor Lawrence. And um, I... Cause it's, so and earlier in the show you today you mentioned the, the hype train is going to the hype train is going to be super annoying for the next couple of years and i could have swore you said something like that back back then but uh not quite but anyways you did mention him and here we are so we have one last piece of audio to play and we're going to end on something that you and i both nailed pretty much and we spent a decent amount of time on this topic back in episode 63 but I just took a quick 17-second clip of it for this podcast. This topic that I speak of, Willie Taggart at Florida State. 
What about Willie Taggart at Florida State? Him getting a lot of hype. Oh, he's uh, he's a that's that was that was probably the worst hire of the offseason. That's a terrible hire. I mean, under five hundred in his career as a head coach. And I think we're about to see to Florida, Florida State. State go through some tough times. And tough times Florida State did go through go through. <laughs> and they're not recruiting well either. They're screwed. Gosh. Terrible hire. Such a terrible hire. So Florida State was number nineteen in the preseason AP poll. The Seminoles finished five and seven, and it was the first time Florida State lost seven games in a season since nineteen seventy-five. So Willie Taggart's first year in Tallahassee was a historically bad season for the Florida State football program. I I, I would say that I mean Florida State right now is solidly the fourth best program in the state of Florida right now, behind Miami, Florida, and uh, and UCF. God, goodness. Just, just a, a, a monumentally disastrous hire for Florida State. And it seemed like a lot of, I don't know. I mean, for whatever reason, they thought it would be a good hire. And, boy, that was a bad football team this year. That was a really bad football team. And so much for DeAndre Francois being really good. Clearly, Jimbo Fisher just had kind of the magic touch with him because when I watched Florida State play this year, DeAndre Francois didn't look anything like he did whenever he was – playing and healthy under Jimbo Fisher. So we'll see if Florida State can turn things around. Uh, I kind of kind of doubt it. Anything else that uh, you'd like to touch on before we go? Nah, just uh, I'm going to be looking forward to uh, our next emergency podcast talking about Jalen Hurts becoming the OU quarterback. It's going to be fun. Oh, did you did you get a text or did did Jalen give you a call and say he was going to do something or? Nah, me and Jalen are oh. boys. It's just it's just a matter oh. of time. Just just wait, okay. everybody. Just wait on okay. it. Okay. That's our show for today. Stay tuned to the Facebook page for show updates. Tentatively, I'd say plan on the next episode coming out either next Tuesday or next Wednesday, unless there's some sort of reason for an emergency podcast between then. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.